so there's this thing that happens in our house about once a week. Our refrigerator has a built-in ice maker and ice dispenser, and it's pretty fancy, if I do say so myself, because not only will this ice dispenser dispense whole cubes, if you press a certain button, it will crush up those cubes for you, and you'll have crushed ice right out of the refrigerator. Now, when I was a child, if I wanted crushed ice, I had to pop the cubes out of the ice cube tray. Do you remember those? And I had to put them inside a towel and mash them up with a rolling pin. That's how I got crushed ice. But at our house, we've got this fancy refrigerator. And so all you do is press the button and put your cup under and it can fill it with crushed ice. Well, anyway, about once a week, I'll be getting ice for my water. And Sarah will say, our daughter will say, I want some ice, but I want the little ice. She wants it crushed up. So I press the button and she hands me her cup and I, uh, f- I put some ice in it. And, and it, almost immediately, within the span of one second, she'll say, that's enough. Because the ice machine makes a lot of noise. It sounds like a whole lot is happening when you're getting that crushed up ice. But I'll look into the cup and I'll think, that's not enough. And I'll say, Sarah, that's not enough. And she'll look at me and declare confidently, that's enough. And I'll say, okay, and I'll hand her the cup, and she'll take the cup, and she'll look inside, and she'll hand it back to me and say, that's not enough. (laughs) And so I'll fill it up with some more ice and hand it back to her, and she'll say, that's enough. And she'll go around doing what three-year-olds do and sucking on ice along the way. About 20 minutes later, she'll bring me her cup back and say, I'm done. And I'll look in the cup, and I'll say, baby, you didn't need all your ice. And she'll say, I know, it was too much. We're starting a new series this morning. It's called Beyond Enough. The idea is that we all, all of us, have trouble sometimes with this concept of enough. Sometimes it sounds like, well, that's not enough. I feel like I don't have enough or enough whatever it is. I don't have enough time. There's not enough space, not enough energy, not enough money. That's an important one. There's just not enough. And sometimes we make that real personal, or it feels real personal, and it'll sound more like, I am not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not lucky enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not whatever enough. But on the other side of the coin, we sometimes hear ourselves saying, there's just too much There's too much to do. We've got too much stuff. Uh, We're carrying too much stress. We're carrying too much weight. There's too much whatever. So on one side, we've got not enough. On the other side, we've got too much. They're two sides of the same coin, both built on the assumption that there is some sweet spot, some magical place where there is enough, but not too much. The problem is, most of us, most of the time, have trouble knowing where that is. We have trouble knowing what is enough. So I think that God wants to move us beyond enough, so that we'll begin to see beyond what we have or don't have, beyond what we are or aren't, and begin to see the very heart of who God is. Is. That's the goal of this series, to help us take our eyes off of ourselves, what we have and what we are, and put our eyes on God and what God has and who God is. And the scripture we'll read this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians. It's one of the letters in the New Testament written by Paul, one of the great missionaries of the early church. And the context of the passage is, is rather important, so I want to set it up for you a little bit. 
As best as anyone could tell, Paul arrived in the ancient city of Corinth around the year 50 AD. And over the next year and a half or so, he founded a church there. And once he was satisfied that this fledgling community was stable and strong enough to keep going without his physical presence there, he packed up and headed to a place called Ephesus, where he started another church there with the Ephesians. But here's what happens when Paul leaves Corinth. When Paul leaves Corinth, a a new crowd of Christian evangelists moves in. Paul calls them super apostles. And there's some evidence that they even called themselves this. They are the super apostles. Because not only were they strong and smart and well-respected and good-looking, these super apostles claimed to have uh, deep spiritual knowledge, knowledge given to them directly by God through supernatural ecstatic visions and experiences with the divine. These so-called super apostles came to Corinth and began to challenge Paul's authority there. Paul was crude, they said. Paul was volatile and manipulative, they said. Everywhere Paul went, he offended people, they said. The gist of their argument was that Paul didn't exhibit the signs, the true signs, of an apostle. So Paul couldn't be a true messenger of God. He was short. He was weak. He was insecure. He, ha- he was tactless. He didn't work enough miracles. He was always in trouble, in and out of jail. He kept getting beaten up in the street. He was always rubbing people the, the wrong way. In other words, Paul, Paul, well, he's not good enough for this. He's not polished enough. He's not enough to do this important work of God. That's what the super apostles were saying. Surely, Surely God has better taste than that. Surely God would choose someone better than that. And here's the really interesting thing. Everything they said about Paul was true, and he knew it. He was short and weak. He was tactless and always getting in trouble. All they were doing were pointing out the things Paul already knew and hated about himself. Don't you love when people do that for you? Make a list of all the flaws you know you already have. People tell you all the things you already know you've done wrong. No one was more aware of Paul than, no one was more aware of his own weaknesses than Paul was. And like many of us, he carried all sorts of shame because of those things. So let's read what he writes in 2 Corinthians. This is part of his response to to everything that the super, super apostles were saying about them. You've got the texts. Print it in your bulletin. We're going to have the words on the screen as well. So here's uh, starting in verse 2. I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Let's pause there for a second. So Paul says, I know a person, but he's actually talking about himself. And he's talking about how he too has had this same sort of incredible, supernatural, spiritual experience that the super apostles claimed to have had. He was caught up to the third heaven. It's this ecstatic vision and experience with God. But he downplays that it was him. He says, I knew a person. He downplays that it was him in order to distinguish himself from those super apostles who always made everything about them. So verse 3, and I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. 
but I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul, it turns out, has had an incredible spiritual experience. He was caught up to the third heaven, a vision, a revelation of paradise, the same sort of thing that the super apostles had been bragging about. What's remarkable, though, is how little Paul tells us about his dramatic religious experience. He was raptured right up to paradise, caught up in the third heaven, and he says almost nothing about how he got there or what he heard when he was there. Instead, he quickly shifts the subject to what? To a thorn in his flesh. Now, he doesn't tell us what it is. It's some painful thing, though, some condition, some weakness that bugged him every day. We don't know what it was, even to this day, but good guesses over the years include things like epilepsy and migraines and malaria, depression, partial blindness, a speech impediment, a joint problem. Whatever it was, Paul couldn't get rid of it. And that's part of what fascinates us. This holy man who had been to the third heaven and back, who was chosen by God to be one of the greatest missionaries of all time, this spiritual giant had something physical that bugged him every day of his life. In other words, he was one of us. He was just like us. He would kneel down to say his prayers at night and his knees would hurt. He would feel that thorn, whatever it was, stab him. Whatever it was, it got in Paul's way so much that he begged God not once, not twice, but three times to take it away from him. His prayer is answered just not in the way he had hoped. Because instead of the thorn being removed, Paul receives a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. This is a powerful word from God. My grace is enough for you. There's that word again, enough. What does it mean? What does it mean that God's grace is enough? I want to start with some things that it doesn't mean, because these are places where Christians sometimes get tripped up. When God says to Paul, and when God says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, God does not mean you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. This is a thing that our kids learned in school. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. That is not what God means when God says, my grace is sufficient for you. God is well aware that there is injustice in the world, that groups of people and individuals experience injustice at the hands of other people. God does not expect us to be okay with that. God does not expect us to accept that or be content with injustice. Second thing, my grace is sufficient for you does not mean God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that? 
Have you ever said that? Anybody ever say that to you? That is not what this means. I know a whole bunch of people who have not had a fair shake in life. People who have had seasons in life where terrible things happened, one on top of the other. A whole series of terrible things that broke them. It was more than they could handle. God does not give these things to people to see how much they can handle. God does not give people terrible things in order to prove that God is enough. Paul is clear about that in this passage. He says the thorn in his side isn't from God. He says it's a messenger from Satan. Now one more, my grace is sufficient for you does not mean that people who experience deep pain or chronic illness should regard those things as gifts from God. God did, not call, God did not cause Paul's affliction any more than God causes a child to develop leukemia. But God is present. God is present always, even in the midst of difficult things that God didn't cause. And God does sustain us through pain. And the grace of God can be made known even through the afflictions that bring God and us deep pain and sorrow. My grace is sufficient for you. The only way to begin to understand what it means is to keep reading. For power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness, our weakness. My grace is sufficient for you means that being weak, whatever that looks like for that person in that moment, being weak does not separate us from the love of God. In fact, our weaknesses... Our places of pain are the very places where we most clearly experience the power of God who loves us very much. In other words, in other words, you, you are enough for God, just the way you are. You are enough for God to love and cherish and fill with the Holy Spirit. Now, will a life with God change you? Yes, Will a deepening relationship with Christ transform you into something new? Yes, absolutely. But whatever you are like right right now, however you show up in the world right now is enough for God. Whatever weaknesses you have or think you have are places where God's power will be made known in you, to you, and through you. There's this song we sing sometimes, uh, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy an invitation to a life with God. It's an invitation to the table of our Lord. And one of the lines is, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. If you tarry, if you wait until you're better, if you wait until you've fixed everything wrong with you, then you'll never come. You'll never feel like you can go to God. But the song ends with this line, I will arise and go to Jesus He will embrace me in his arms. Because it turns out that it doesn't matter what's wrong with you. It doesn't matter what you think is wrong with you. What matters is that he loves you no matter what's wrong with you. God knows that having problems is just part of being human. Every one of us suffers from one thorn or another. And the genius of Paul not naming his own thorn is that it allows us to filter the story through our own thorns the things in us or about us or that happen to us and cause us pain. Paul had all sorts of weaknesses. The super apostles are happy to point them out. All sorts of thorns in his side. I have all sorts of weaknesses. 
All sorts of things about me that I don't like that I'm reminded of every time I look in the mirror, every time I hear my voice, every time I make a mistake. You probably do too. Things about you that you don't like, things about you that trick you into thinking that you are not enough, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not whatever enough. Well, the good news is that none of those things disqualify you from serving God. On the contrary, those things ought to be on your list of credentials. They ought to be at the top of your resume because those are the things that, those are the signs that God has room to work in you. You know, the fact, the fact that the church survives with people like us in charge is the surest sign that Christ is alive and well and dwelling in us and that he is powerful. How else could we endure, either as individuals or as a group? How else could we keep going? God's grace is sufficient for us. God's power is made perfect in weakness. As we prepare to go to this table, let's not wait until we're better. Do not tarry till you're better, because then you'll never come at all. Instead, let's all say, I I will arise and I will go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. Because it doesn't matter what you think is wrong with you. What matters is that he loves you no matter what's wrong with you. Let's pray.